Welcome to the Lift Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Neff. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Cortez. Welcome back to the sixth installment of the Lift Lounge Podcast. I am your host, Adam Neff, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kyle Cortez. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. And, you know, it's been a little while since we've actually been able to uh, speak to our listeners here on the podcast. We've been uh, having a very busy past few months with the holidays and whatnot. But uh, how have you been? I've been doing pretty good. Uh, the holidays were a whole lot of fun. Uh, we had multiple weekends of it uh, just because the one weekend that we uh, had I think four or five family parties planned. Uh, we ended up getting like a blizzard-like conditions. Uh, so we had to uh, space that out. Yeah, uh, Ohio weather has just been absolutely horrendous this time of the year. I mean, we don't see sunshine, but maybe three days a month. Um, I know it's very different from you in, in Hawaii, but uh, how was your holidays? My holidays were great. Um... Yeah, we, we only have one season here, so I don't have to deal with, you know, like blizzards and that kind of stuff, thankfully. But, you know, it was great. Um, I spent time with family. Um, we had some great food. And, you know, I think um, with the holidays, uh, within the past few years, I feel like for me, it's been more so about spending time with family, about spending some quality time with family. And if, you know, if you're anything like me, I only see my family uh, maybe once, twice a year. So that's really a time where I can, you know, just soak it in, just spend some really good quality time with them instead of focusing on, you know, the food aspect of it, which is what I think a lot of people look forward to when it comes to the holiday season, right? Like thinking about all of the good foods that they can eat yeah yeah that uh i've had this conversation over the last couple of weeks with with multiple different clients but you know if you're not competing i think that doing like cyclical bulking and cutting based on the season makes so much sense like the fall and the winter you spend time in a surplus that way uh, you can enjoy the holiday festivities you can eat uh, some of the good foods that are around and then of course um, up here at least it's a little bit cooler uh, so you have to kind of bundle up and whatnot and then during the spring and the summer it could be you know, maybe just lend itself to having a, a little bit of a deficit you know, we're not wearing as many clothes there's not as many festivities going on uh, but yeah I think uh, the holidays man I think uh, a lot of people uh, tend to get a little bit out of shape when they can't stick to their uh, their their normal structure and daily routine and it happened to me on a couple of the uh, the events that we had but um, that just was ironed out by making sure that I, I prepared myself for those those events you know uh, you know doing a little damage control the day before or a little damage control the day after or just simply just making sure that I had a couple of meals to take with me yeah, I like that. Um, you actually prepare beforehand. You know, I think a lot of people, <clears throat> when it comes to the holiday stuff, you know, they, they kind of restrict themselves or, uh, you know, they, they indulge a little bit more than they should. But in a depending on what phase you're in, if you're 
in a bulking phase or whatnot, you know, you do have times for those those special meals, right? And I think that being able to pace yourself is a really good way to set yourself up for success. You know, um, like Adam said, preparing before, if you're going to have, you know, a larger meal in the evening, say for like a Christmas dinner, um, you know, maybe you scale back your food a little bit. Maybe you eat a little bit calorie, uh, less calories to compensate for, um, you know, the more higher uh, calorie dense foods that you may be having at dinner so that it kind of balances itself out. And, you know, if you're in a contest prep, I know some people would just restrict themselves completely or not even go to these kind of family events because, you know, they don't want to be ridiculed for you know bringing their own meal preps and stuff like that but i think there's a lot of value in actually going to you know these events and spending some time with quality family and having them understand what you're doing you know if you're in a if you're in a cut if you're in contest prep you know i've i've been at the butt end of a joke you know like for for years like oh can you eat that you know are you sure you can have that kind of food and it's more so about having them understand what you're doing and having them involved in the process as well with what you're doing so sorry instead of you know just bringing your own meal preps maybe what you can do is bring something to the party that everybody can enjoy and something that you can have as well whether that be like a, a you know a salad or like a, a fruit and vegetable platter and stuff like that you know having everybody involved with your process as well I think can be really beneficial towards your goals and you know having a greater support system for yourself you know expanding that support system yeah, because then that builds the awareness of those around you as to what you're trying to accomplish. But uh, to your point with the, uh, the damage control and exposing yourself to uh, the, the situations that might be uncomfortable, um, I've had quite a few conversations about how to navigate the holidays and navigate these events. And I'll just list a couple of things that I had talked about and you can add anything to it. but. I had always told people, you know, prioritize your expenditure, right? So if you foresee yourself having a big dinner, maybe you go on a longer walk in the morning. If you have time, maybe you go on a longer walk in the evening. Um, prioritizing hydration, of course. Um, you know, people tend to fill themselves up on foods rather than uh, actually drinking water. Uh, so they mistaken their uh, hunger or their thirst for hunger, excuse me and um, prioritizing protein, of course, uh, because protein has the highest thermic effect of food and tends to be the most satiating macronutrient. And then speaking on satiation uh, or satiety, whichever one that would be, uh, fiber would be another one. So uh, prioritizing your fiber, your micronutrients, getting your fruits and vegetables. So maybe what you do is you limit your dietary fats, you limit your carbs some, you make sure you hit your protein, you make sure that you do some sort of expenditure, you go on a walk, um, and then fill in with water as well. 
anything to add to that? No, I know that I am definitely a victim of uh, of uh, not doing those things, especially when it comes to like holiday meals and stuff like that. A lot of people will fast, you know, expecting to have these really large meals with, you know, an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert, and then we forget about these these really basic habits like, you know, drinking enough water and getting enough fiber and protein and whatnot, and we usually if it's the holiday you know we will spend most of the day sitting down not moving around too much so being able to standardize these things is going to help us uh you know have better habits around um the holiday season i believe yeah yeah and uh i uh, we'll get into the training aspect of things what we've been doing recently but uh i took about six days completely off from the gym last week two weeks ago yeah, two weeks, two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And um, I will say, man, it is so easy to just get out of the habit of waking up and drinking your water. Uh, so easy to get out of the habit of just all of these rituals that kind of follow the, the bodybuilding stuff that we do. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's like a slippery slope. You know, if you're not training hard, then you don't feel the need to eat as healthfully. Uh, because you're not putting yourself through the ringer. Um, I don't know. There's just something about it that, like, when you train hard, you, you feel like you need to, uh, you, I mean, you need to support that with recovery aspects, like uh, prioritizing your sleep, your hydration, uh, your micronutrients, macros, etc. cetera. Um, but when that training stimulus is not there, man, I just I really did have slightly a, a difficult time adhering to the nutrition side of things, too yeah for sure yeah even even myself i was um i was sick with the cold uh, i want to say it was about three weeks ago now so yeah i was down for at least two days and that threw off my entire like mesocycle structure and for me i like structure i like having specific days where i train and uh you know having that mesocycle extended and taking extra rest days um where I actually needed it, but I didn't feel, you know, as structured and as strong um, as I would like to be. And those kind of setbacks, you know, in in the off season, I'm not too worried about when setbacks like that happen because I don't have a specific deadline that I have to meet. But it just it throws off my my schedule, you know, like. Um, when I was sick, I was, I had a cold for about three days. So that threw off my mesocycle at least two days. So it pushed my training back. And then after that, I had a sinus infection, which lasted a, at least another three days. So that was at least like a week and a half off where I was not training or I was, you know, um, trying to deload and like one week away one and a half weeks away from stimulative training for me is just it's, it's too long it's too long like I have that itch to just get back in there already you know but I think within uh, the recent years I've really come to appreciate um, the deloads and the recovery aspect of, uh, of training like I would rather I would rather prioritize getting healthy a lot faster than trying to train through 
um, through sickness and illness and potentially extending that um, that time that it takes to recover and my recoverability. Yep, yep. Yeah, I learned that the, uh, the hard way, probably in like 2015, 2016. I, we, uh, my wife and I went out to California. I might have told you this, I ended up getting sick. And um, this was pre-COVID, this was pre-COVID. Um, and I had an upper respiratory infection for at least three months. And I trained through it. I did not stop. I didn't skip a beat. And it was the absolute dumbest thing I could have done. Um, I mean, it just prolonged me from, from fully recovering. Um, definitely built some uh, mental fortitude in the, in the process of it, but definitely <laughs> not a smart option. Uh, but yeah, you had, a, you had a sinus infection. And man, sinus infections are the absolute worst. Do you get those often? That was the first time I actually ever had a sinus infection. So because of the sinus infection, I had a headache right between my eyebrows. And that lasted three days, like I said. So the very first day, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just take a rest day here. And then maybe tomorrow might be a lot better. Uh, so I tried to just let it go away naturally. And then um, the second day, it was just as bad. Um, like the whole day, just my head was pounding right between my eyebrows and I thought uh, maybe I don't want to skip training today but I ended up taking an Advil and just training through it the Advil did absolutely nothing for me so I tried training through that and then I did the same thing just hoping that it would get better um, the following day and then same thing nothing <laughs> nothing happened uh, still had the pounding in my head I was like okay this is this is going on too long i need to go see a doctor so i went to go see a doctor they gave me some antibiotics and they said just oh just take some um you know some tylenol uh for the the headaches so i actually got some tylenol it was like a 500 milligram per tab i think so it's a lot stronger than the advil that i actually had so i yeah. took like two tylenol pills and i was like oh this is this is bearable so after that i i returned to training but yeah, through those through those three days, it was just like, oh man, it was because when you have a sinus headache, man, there's just like no way to uh, find relief. Um, I I might might have told you this. I broke my nose when I was 17. I uh, deviated my septum, collapsed my nasal passage, and uh, developed chronic sinusitis. Um, so I actually had to have a surgery when I was 18, uh, and. I was actually experiencing, I was missing school probably two to three times a week due to headaches. So that's what had uh, spurred me to, to actually get the, the surgery. And that's over 10 years now. And uh, I had a headache yesterday. I had a headache uh, two weeks ago. I had a headache three weeks ago. Um, so uh, fingers crossed that uh, this whole sinus sinusitis is not uh, coming back um, because it is... Uh, it's it's I, I think it's kind of along the lines of like a like a knee replacement and a hip replacement, right? Like those things only last like fifteen to twenty years. So they try and wait until people are you know, much, much older than let's say fifty years old to do it. Um, and I think it's kind of the same thing. It's like you, know, you might have to go in and, and get some get your sinuses cleared out every so often. So we'll see about that. Um, so moving on to the training. 
So uh, we're both making a couple changes with our with our training going forward. Uh, you might be making some really big changes, uh, so you'll have to tell the listeners about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, maybe I'll skip back to um, the beginning when where we last left off on the, our uh, podcast. So, on the last podcast, I was doing more of a metabolic type of phase where we were prioritizing metabolite accumulation through you know drop sets and supersets and um, you know on like myo rep kind of stuff but now we're back to more hypertrophy style of training um, you know just your standard straight sets and rep ranges from as low as five all the way to maybe 15 but um been running that for about a mesocycle maybe like five week mesocycle and now i am going to do still a hypertrophy block within this next mesocycle but i am going to be traveling to washington for work travel so that is going to potentially change up the way that we approach this next training block um because I'm traveling to a different state I have never been before, I don't know uh, what the environment is like, where I'm going to train and whatnot. Um, after this deload, it's probably going to be a smart idea for me to take an active rest in my first week there to try and find a facility that I can, um, that I have access to that has a lot of relatively the same equipment that I'm using down here. Um, and then, you know, potentially making some exercise changes and some changes to um, frequencies and how many days I'm training in total. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now with um, with training. So the gym you train at right now has a bunch of the uh, Real Leaders USA equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I have actually never seen that or even heard of it in the states Um, i I believe it's a it's a chinese made company yeah yeah i don't think a lot of places have this um equipment but yeah it was a surprise to me as well i've never seen this type of equipment before (laughs) have you uh have you looked into any gyms around the area yet or i've looked into some to some um gyms i mean they have a crunch fitness i believe up in kitsap um I believe there's more of like a private gym that's like I think they have like a mix of everything like strength training, strength, uh, strongman, uh, some powerlifting, and I, I believe a little bit of bodybuilding stuff where they have some some hammer strength um, machines. But I believe there's also one on the naval base where we're going to be working. So I mean, if if we do have the um, naval base one, I'm gonna have to find that one. I'm pretty sure that they have everything there. Because the one that we have down here, the the naval base um, training facility that has a lot of like hammer strength stuff, you know, it's your typical, like almost like a commercial gym pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Dang, so you got some good options then. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if you've ever been to a crunch. No, never been to a crunch fitness before. Yeah. I trained at a crunch eh, on and off for about a year and a half. Um, They have some decent equipment. A lot of it's uh, uh, Star Trek. Star Trek brand, but they have a just an awesome hack squat. The Star Trek hack squat is fantastic. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting to, to see 
you know, what you do have access to, because we had talked that, you know, if you do have more like free weight stuff, you know, you have to do like barbell squats and stuff like that. We might dial, dial your frequency back a little bit to, to help ops, offset some of that extra systemic fatigue that comes with it. But yeah, um, especially with like free weight movements, like the barbell back squat, which I haven't done in over a year now, um, you know, adding that type of movement back in that requires so much demand, um, you know, systemically and, you know, with execution and whatnot, it's going to take a little bit longer to relearn that movement pattern for me. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, fingers crossed that uh, we don't have the barbell squat. And it's going to be, you know, like yeah. a couple of weeks of you relearning that movement. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, ideally, we'll, we'll have a pendulum or a, uh, a hack. Now, you've been doing the pendulum. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you like that in comparison to the hack squat? Um, as far as stimulus, I believe that I get a better stimulus out of um, the pendulum squat just because when you're in that bottom position, it already puts you into that really deep knee flexion. And the movement itself, it's, it's almost like a pressing and a leg extension at the same time just because of the arc of the movement. Yeah. And it's it's a lot better stimulus for me. I can get like really deep into that knee flexion. Whereas the hack squat, just because I'm so short, I'm like 5'5", five five, when I get into that bottom position, um, I'm bottoming out the hack squat machine and I'm just, I'm just barely below 90 degrees of um, knee flexion. So I can get a lot more out of the pendulum squats, I believe. But it's definitely a lot harder <laughs> than, um, than the hack squat. It is very humbling. Yeah, I, I, I feel like a lot of uh, people do the pendulum squat uh, without the intention of almost making it that like extension piece as well. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't think about the whole arc that it's going through. Uh, but it definitely took me a couple of months to really hone in and find the exact technique I wanted to roll with. Um, but what are some of those movements that you're going to be changing? The clavicular... You were doing the superset of the clavicular uh, mm -hmm. press around, uh, yeah. and you're just going to be doing the shortened position work yeah. now, right? Yeah. So I was doing clavicular press arounds for the clavicular fibers of my chest. Uh, I was overloading the short position first, so pausing at the very top, and then um, going straight into a lengthened position. So I would pause at the very bottom, and. I think that movement for me has been quite a hit or miss in terms of finding execution. Um, I think that position of the rib cage for me and you know how much I'm arching my upper back when it comes to pressing around or um, bringing that elbow across the chest has been um, a little bit hard to, to nail down on the head consistently every single session. It kind of depends on, you know, how tired my my delts are um, from the previous exercise because I do a high incline press first before clavicular press arounds. So sometimes my um, anterior delt would be a little bit more fatigued um, on some days when I do those press arounds, especially in the, I believe the lengthened position. When I get to the lengthened position, I start doing press arounds that way. 
um, I could feel a lot of stimulation sometimes in my delt rather than my clavicular chest fibers yeah yeah, that'd be like that whole like pre-fatigue thing. You pre-fatigue your anterior delts before you go into your clavicular press around with hopes that if your anterior delt is working really hard, then uh, the clavicular fibers will take over. But uh, we had that discussion during your check-in about uh, doing like a shortened overload to a, the lengthened overload. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know uh, I've had a conversation with um, Josh Brad. I'm not sure if it's Josh Bradford or Josh Brad, but uh, we had talked about that. I think Nick Gloff had initially brought it up, like going to a shortened muscle position to a lengthened, because a shortened essentially is going to be much more difficult, uh, more metabolically taxing to fully shorten that muscle, uh, not as difficult to fully lengthen that muscle. Do you uh, think? Do you foresee yourself messing around with with rotating those exercises to play around with that? Or yeah, I, w- I would. I would think so. I mean, I want to keep it in because I, I get such a great stimulus from them um, at times. But yeah, it's just hard to to nail it every single time consistently. So yeah. if it, if that continues, then probably see myself switching that out. But for the for the time being, I like to to nail it as consistently as I can because I do when I do get a great stimulus from it, you know, it's it's awesome. It's an awesome movement yeah. for me. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, when I first started training, like, everything was barbells. Everything was dumbbells. Just pretty much everything was just free weights. So it was like setup was easy. You know, I'd just, mm-hmm. I'd just make sure the incline's the same on the bench press. Now that I've, uh, you know, started, I'd say, in the last five to eight years, started messing around with more cables and machines and stuff like that. I could say that generally across the board uh, with some cable-based movements, it's very difficult to get it exactly aligned the way that you were doing it on another day, you mm-hmm. know? Um, like for example, like a, a tricep overhead extension, you know, making sure that your feet are in the exact same place, you're, uh, you're finding stability in the same exact manner. Um, yeah, there, there's a, a little bit of uh, variance when it comes to set up with those those movements, um, yeah. what's the other movement that you're rotating the cable or the um, the pec deck to a cable fly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I've been doing um, sternal flies with a pec deck, but I've been putting D handles on it just for a little bit more uh, versatility in the wrist. But I don't know, like for the the stimulus for me, whenever I do them. Um, it doesn't feel as comfortable because you have the arm of the the pec deck going up and the bar is above you right when you're um, bringing your arm across your chest but when you have a cable fly you have that resistance with the cable going straight through your arm right as you're um, doing your your fly but sometimes it's very uncomfortable especially when I try to bring it to zero RIR and I get to that very last bit um, in the shortened position, it can get quite uncomfortable there. And I think being able to set up with a cable fly um, with a stack and, you know, setting up a bench is going to be a lot better for alignment for me. So I think that's where I'm going to be making another switch with my exercise selection. Yeah, and also, uh, you know, you've had those 
shoulder issue that pops up here and there. Yeah. Um, do you uh, do you have one of those like half benches, like the seated, like shoulder press, like the hammer uh, strength shoulder press? Yeah, it's the, like the ninety yeah. degree, like the really yeah. short. Um, yeah, the really short. Because then, like, that's a huge benefit right there. Like, maybe you could use that and then have a little bit more freedom with your scapula, mm. um, so that you're not pinning your scapula back. Mm. Um, you know, that's debatable, right? Uh, we hear a lot of controversy over that on Instagram, but. Mm-hmm. Um, are those the two there might have been one other one that we rotated right mm, oh um, cable lateral raises so in my program I do have I think three lateral raise variations I have a um, lateral raise cable lateral raise from waist height I have a Y raise so that's training the most very short position of the uh, medial delt and I have, I believe, just a dual arm cable lateral raise. So I, I have, you know, um, enough variation there. But when I was having my rotator cuff issues, bringing that arm a little bit behind uh, myself was giving my, um, my rotator cuff a lot of issues um, here and there when it was flaring up at its worst. So I, I thinking... Uh, moving to more of a stable um, movement would be a lot better for me, especially because it's it's later in the session. Um, it's like towards the end. I'm doing rear delts um, before that as well. So that requires quite a bit of stability on my part, um, doing the single arm cable rear delt fly. So I think moving to more of a stable movement where I can just focus on, you know, just raising that weight is going to be a lot easier and more safer on my shoulder, especially when those flare-ups happen. Yep, yep. Be in a more stable position, and then you're not going to be putting that arm quite as far down, um, you know, behind you. Mm -hmm. Um, But are you, you're going to be doing, that's a real leader, uh, USA. Yes, I I did try it. What was that? Is that a dual, the one that does the, the rear delt flies as well? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really interesting machine. I've never seen anything like it before. So the the chest plate can actually tilt, um, yeah. I think, 180 degrees, and then you can lay on it, and then you can use the machine rear delt pads as like a um, as a rear delt. I did try yeah. it. it. It was really uncomfortable. It did not feel was natural it? at all. Yeah, because the – yeah interesting interesting i remember you sent me yeah. a video of it and uh yeah never seen anything like that before uh, yeah. i'll definitely not demonstrate anything on here i kind of forgot <laughs> that this is a podcast um yeah so those three movements are the big movements that we're changing in your programming mm-hmm. um so as i had discussed in the uh, last podcast i'm i was doing a push pull lower uh so training three times a week uh, still going to be training three times a week uh, but I have rotated a few exercises, so uh, that kneeling hammer strength lat row, man, I, I progressed that very well over the last 20 weeks, maybe even longer. I think it actually was in two programs before that, so like 30 weeks. Uh, I went from like four plates on it to up to like six, and that pretty much like ran out of room on the, the machine and could still build up on in terms of uh, making my movements a little bit better uh maybe you know 
holding it in a lengthened position, um, adding repetitions, but man, my biceps were just getting absolutely smoked from that thing. Um, and not in a good way. It was uh, like bicep tendonitis. Um, have you ever had any bicep tendonitis before? No, never. No. Yeah. Man, it what was like up like? into my like pec, actually. Wow. Yeah, wow. so it was like in my pec and then like down my forearm, like into my like the armpit of my elbow. Um, not comfortable at all, so. Would you say that's due to just having a lot of elbow flexion in that position? When you're in that, you know, in that more shortened. Yeah. So the way that thing works, it's like very, very much overloaded in that lengthened position, and mm-hmm. then that weight, you know, once it gets over the axis of rotation, that thing is just straight down. So I was always kind of hesitant to fully straighten that arm, like when we talk about like a, a dumbbell preacher curl. You know, you don't want to fully straighten that arm because you're going to disadvantage that bicep. Um, so I think there might have been a little bit too much of that occurring, um, but you know it was also getting to the point where that's an extreme amount of load that comes on very sudden at the most stretched position. Uh, so I just rotated it. I'm rotating it to a chest-supported uh, lat pull-down with that prime long bar. Um, I don't feel like I get quite as good of a stimulus, um, but. Uh, we're just going to monitor it and see from there. Um, and then I'm also going to rotate out the hammer strength incline chest press. Uh, that one, again, that same kind of area, causing just a little bit of discomfort there. Um, so I'm just going to do a low incline dumbbell press. And then the other big one that I'm changing is I uh, was doing a uh, heel elevated Bulgarian split squat. And uh, now I'm just gonna do like a glute focused Bulgarian split squat on one leg day. And then on the other leg day, I'm gonna do a walking dumbbell lunge. Um, And literally just for some variety, um, as well as the day that I was doing the uh, heel elevated split squat, I was doing pendulum squat, and then my quads would be sore for like seven days. Uh, so I decided, eh, let's go ahead and just back off on the uh, quadricep stimulus. Um, but yeah, I, I've uh, definitely been enjoying it on one weekend and just, just changing a few things, man. It, it really does like revitalize me um, because now I feel like I have some new strength goals for those movements. Yeah. Exercise staleness is such a big factor in terms of it, like enjoyment in training. You know, after you've progressed a movement for so long, like it sometimes you even dread, you know, even doing some of these movements. And, you know, sometimes when it gets that far, I think it might be time to, to switch things out, especially if you've progressed it as, as much as you. You know, you've went from, what did you say, four plates all the way up to six plates on that hammer strength um, uh, variation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when you've been progressing movements for that long, you know, that kind of stuff can get stale and I think enjoyment is a big factor in making progressions continuing to make progressions across you know months years but yeah I uh, are you still being um coached by Jackson yeah yeah I mean it's uh kind of a little bit more of uh I take progress photos and send them over to him and then just kind of Mm -hmm. touch base about things every other week um, 
but I think once I I'm, I'm gonna end up running this what I'm uh, this this block essentially for like five six weeks and then deload mm-hmm. and then I've, I've thought about opening my training up to four times a week and doing two times a week for lower body uh, just because man my lower body does not respond like yours that's for sure mm-hmm. uh, my lower body is just it I've had so many injuries um, so you know I think that for me it's just maximizing each rep quality is going to be my main focus for these next five weeks but I've also started in implementing more like movement prep uh, so like hip airplanes with internal and external rotation, doing some Copenhagen planks, uh, doing some positional breath work beforehand, um, and getting into some of these positions that I know that my hips lack, uh, like hip internal rotation and and hip flexion. Those are really big ones for me. Um, So anybody out there that uh, deals with that, you know, the David Gray Rehab, I talk about him all the time. fantastic content when it comes to uh, restoring some of that lost mobility um, but yeah so have, yeah. has your um your training you said is the, like the least frequent it's been in years right so you're only training three times a week yeah yeah yep. yeah so with that increased frequency you feel like you can get a lot more practice a lot more frequency in through the quads especially where you need them right yeah 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 and i think just also like staying moving in my hips mm-hmm. um because if i'm not like doing a, a lower body training session man i have just a, a really hard time like s- taking the time to do like rehab um so thinking about like taking my leg day and just dispersing the volume across two days um and then that's one more day of like quote unquote rehab that I'm doing for my lower half, um, but yeah, I mean I've I've just accrued so many injuries just uh, not knowing, and and I will say you know I don't regret anything because it definitely taught me a lot, um, but you know, it's definitely something that if I want to continue to make gains, I'm gonna have to uh, go down that rehab route. But have you ever had any? big lower body injuries Mm. i did have a i'm self-diagnosing here but i think i did have like a a herniated disc when i was um doing more like powerlifting style training so this was after a squat session uh i felt like uh not really like pain but it just felt like a, a like a slight pop at the bottom position of a squat i believe i was doing pause squats and then, you know, just something just felt off. And then that was like the last set of squats that I had for that day. And then I had to go into um, sumo deadlifts. And then Jeez. I was warming up with 135. I could barely do it. I felt that, you know, that uneasiness in the in the lower back. I tried going up to two plates. Couldn't you move it, move it off the ground? I was like, oh, okay, um, I'm gonna end it here. <laughs> I was so upset with myself, like, I've never had like a major injury like that before, so I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should, you know, see a specialist or if I should just wait until it kind of dies down on its own. And I think that's what I what I did. I think I took some time off from from lower body training. Um, I tried to 
um, do some mobility and stuff like that but my knowledge of mobility and movement and stuff was very limited so I would just do a typical oh, lay on a lacrosse ball or like roll out my hamstrings on a, a foam roller you know I think I think the the thing that really um, helped me heal was just taking that time off from the gym yeah. just because you know I, I my knowledge of mobility and movement and stuff was just so limited like I didn't know what to do <laughs> with myself so I was just okay I'm just gonna wait then, this out I think that's gonna be the the better deal yeah yeah I think that is the, the key it's like if you do have an injury pop up like unexpectedly number one definitely looking at fatigue management right like make sure that that's under control um, but I, I think that a lot of people, when they do get injured, they end up being really scared of moving in that way again. Yes. So absolutely. I think like whenever I've had injuries, you know, I've, I think my injury string started when I was like 14, 15, I tore my hamstring. But being a, like a, um, like a, a fixer type of person, I just constantly, I'm like, okay, well, something happens. I'm immediately going to go and try and do that again and not get pain, right? So like, uh, for example, uh, well, the last time we went to Michigan, uh, my SI went out. It's like, man, that's so frustrating, but I'm going to go on a walk now. I'm gonna do a little bit of something that, uh, elicits that pain but now try and find a way that doesn't elicit that pain um, so I feel like getting back to doing uh, as much sport as possible um, as soon as possible but of course not trying to re-aggravate it uh, because the nervous system plays such a big role in it um, that you know, if, if you're mentally scared to go somewhere your body's probably not going to want to go there either um, yeah, I like that point that you brought up with um, being scared, you know, to do some of these movements because I was definitely scared as well. Like I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I could, you know, deadlift the same way if I could, if I could even squat, you know. But that's the that's the thing that people need to to realize. It's that, you know, you will bounce back, but being able to. Um, take control of your own health should be the priority first before you know you even think about getting back under that barbell again like really try to prioritize moving normally before easing back and starting to load that um load those movements again minimally or what you can also do is you know do some regressions to to work yourself back up to that capacity that you once were so instead of going through, you know, maybe the um, barbell back squat, something a little bit more stable, like a hack squat, working into ranges that you can actually get into comfortably and working around some of those injuries, I think can be quite helpful. Yeah. 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 Injuries suck, that's for sure. They are the absolute worst. Um, I've already probably said this multiple times on this podcast, but uh, Alberto Nunez had the... Uh, the best quote ever and that was that uh one rep won't make you but it can break you um so good rambling session that we had today kyle um anything else that you want to 
wrap up here with? Uh, no, nothing for me. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to actually listen to us. All five of our listeners that listen to every episode, me and Adam being two of them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to us. Yes, thank you guys so very much. And we will catch you on the next episode.